Hey, what's going on? Welcome back to Locked on Raptors. Got another episode lined up for you today where we're going to continue some of the thoughts that started yesterday when we were talking about Media Day and some of the big takeaways we had. I have a couple more that I wanted to get to and expand upon. And then we're going to finish things off with some mailbag questions. We had a bunch for last week's mailbag show that got moved uh, out of the priority list because of the Alvin Williams news drop just before I went live on that show. So we're going to get to those mailbag questions and a lot of them really tie in to some of the things things we've been talking about with Media Day and the things we've heard the Raptors talk about over their first couple days of speaking with the media. So that's coming up on today's show. Stick around. Oh, because like, when I shot, I expected to make it. So like, I don't shoot kind of miss. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's going on? Welcome to episode number 1024 of Lockdown Raptors for Tuesday, September the 28th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter, as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked on Raptors. And I thank you for making Locked on Raptors your first listen of the day. Coming to you a little bit later as well than we normally would, just because we were waiting for OG Ananobi and Scotty Barnes to speak to the media for the first time. We'll get into some takeaways from them. And I really want to focus on OG off the top, because he was not really a huge focus of yesterday's podcast, but I do think... The preseason and what his role is going to be is one of the most fascinating things, not just about the Raptors in the preseason going into the year, but of the entire Raptors season. So we'll get to that coming up in a sec. And we're also going to finish off the mailbag podcast we started last week. Again, Alvin Williams, uh, the news that he was joining the broadcast kind of sewered a lot of the mailbag space we had, but we have a few good questions. Malachi Flynn, Goran Dragic, the lack of seven footers on the roster. We'll get to those questions that you graciously sent in on YouTube uh, earlier this week. Uh, so those are coming up very soon. Uh, let's start off, though. I want to talk about OG Ananobi. He spoke today to the media for the first time. As you might expect, it's not a lot in terms of, like, stuff you're learning when OG Ananobi talks. He talked about being happy to be back in Toronto. He talked about sort of improving every day. We know he's, like, you know, short with his words. He is uh, not someone who's going to be out there sort of giving Fred Van Vliet-level answers to questions, and that's totally fine. We don't need everybody uh, in basketball to be as good a quote as Fred Van Vliet because that would make Fred Van Vliet less of a special, wonderful dude. Uh, But I do want to get into some of the talk from Nick Nurse as well as Bobby Webster yesterday about OG and what this season is going to hold for him. And the impressions I'm getting so far... And look, it's preseason, it's training camp, none of this really matters just yet, and we have not seen things put into practice that have been said out loud, but I do think one of the prevailing takeaways here is that I'm anticipating like a pretty enormous jump in usage for OG Ananobi in the early part of the season in particular, but overall, I think, as a whole, I think he's going to be absolutely crucial to what the Raptors want to do. You know, he's been thrown into the same conversations as Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet as being part of the core leadership group of the team. It's weird because he's like 23 years old, but he's been around for now going into his fifth season. He is seemingly ready to kind of step into a bigger role leadership wise. And on the floor, I mean, it's going to be necessary for OG 
to become a big part of the Raptors offense and any avenue the Raptors have right now of becoming a better half court offensive team of having any sort of shot creation outside of Pascal Siakam and Fred Van Vliet does feel like that's all kind of flowing through OG Ananobi. So just let's run through some of the things that Nick Nurse and Bobby Webster have said about him. I asked Bobby Webster yesterday at the media day, just sort of his thoughts on OG's potential breakout potential. And, you know, even with last season being a stop and start year with COVID and injury for him, he still managed to show off a lot of really impressive growth, particularly on offense, of course. We know he was an absolute stud defensively as well. And so I asked Bobby Webster what he thought about OG's chances of kind of taking off this year. And his response was, we're all excited for OG. And then kind of dove deeper into what it might look like for him. He spoke a lot about the importance of OG maintaining his defensive level, which we know is otherworldly. It's all defense level, you know, potential defensive player of the year conversation type stuff from OG on that end. He might be the best wing defender alive right now in the NBA. You know, that's all well and good, but... With his offensive load likely increasing, it's not easy to maintain that kind of defensive dominance. And that's going to be a really interesting storyline to watch. And if there is going to be any sort of drop-off from OG defensively, how ready are the rest of the guys on the team to step in and fill in those voids? You know, you would think that if Pascal's sort of giving up some of the burden offensively to OG, maybe he's got a little bit of extra energy in the tank to reserve, you know, for playing defense. I think Scotty Barnes is going to be essential here. You know, we heard Nick Nurse talk about him yesterday and how he's going to play a lot. He's going to get as many reps that he can handle. You know, he was spoken about today by Nick Nurse as well, talking about how it's not necessarily going to be about, uh, you know, the stats for, for Scotty Barnes. It really does feel like it's, you know, can he be a good contributor to lineups? How many minutes is he playing? And do those minutes sort of coincide with positive play for the Raptors? Are they outscoring their opponents when he's on the floor? I think it's possible just because the defensive floor is going to be so bloody high with him. But he's going to carry like a huge burden here. If OG is forced to level up, we've seen this happen with great wing defenders in the past. Think of Kawhi Leonard, for example, one of the best wing defenders we've ever seen and maintained an incredible level that he could go to when he was with the Raptors, for example. You know, it's not like he was a bad defender. He guarded Giannis in the conference finals, for Christ's sake. Like, he was excellent, but he was not the same defender that he had been in years past. He's still not today with the Clippers. Like, he can get in there and tap into it when he needs to, but it's just natural that you're going to expend more energy on offense. You're probably going to take the gas, the foot off the gas a little bit on defense. And so, as much as Bobby Webster suggested that he would like to see OG maintain that defensive level. I think you have to bake in some expectation that it's not going to be the same OG on defense that we've seen before. And that's not to say he can't be an all-defense player, because honestly, I feel like the all-defense cachet kind of increases when you're also a great defender who is a very good offensive player, just kind of how the ways, you know, the voters' brains work, I think. And I think, like, he will still be among the league's best defenders, but if there is a drop-off, is he making it worth that drop-off by being a good enough and efficient scorer on the offensive end? And I think Nick Nurse spoke today about how he's kind of expanded and added some things to scoring. It's one thing to do it in practice or against a chair or in pickup. It's quite another thing to do it against very good NBA-level defenders who are trying very hard in the middle of the regular season. But I'm encouraged to hear that he thinks there's you know a little bit more there in terms of packages he can go to, different moves he can bust out. 
you know, we've talked about on this podcast some of the things OG is going to have to improve upon to really tap into that half court offensive potential. You know, the the pull up shooting from both mid range and from three, in particular the mid range where he's very sort of robotic in the way he launches it, launches his shot. You know, getting to the line, finding easy points at the free throw line as opposed to um, you know sort of racking up two free throw attempts a game like he has so far in his career. That's all going to be important. I think what's important here, and this kind of goes in line with a lot of what we heard yesterday from Bobby Webster, Nick Nurse as well, in that, you know, this is a year about balancing development and competitiveness. And I do hope that even if there are some growing pains there for OG, which I think you have to expect, especially early in the season when Siakam's not there, a lot of attention is going to be on OG. He's going to be, you know, priority number one or two for every defense that comes through Toronto or the Toronto visits next to Fred Van Vliet. And how he handles that, I don't think is necessarily going to be indicative of what his career is going to look like or whether or not, you know, I don't think we're going to know, for for example, in the first month, is OG that wing score that you need to have? Like, that's not going to be figured out in month one. But how he responds to that and how the Raptors respond to what the results are, I think is going to be really interesting because I think that's going to be one of the through lines of the season is how much can you kind of accept that, you know, maybe OG loses a game for you because he goes eight of 25 because he's trying some stuff out. Is that something the Raptors are going to live with? I don't know. I have really no idea how they're going to approach this. They continue to talk about wanting to maintain those two tracks of being competitive, but also developing guys. They've done it in the past, obviously. Like during the Kyle Lowry, DeMar DeRozan, Jonas Valanciunas era, when those guys were the sort of head honchos of the team, they developed guys wonderfully well to the point that they had a whole shadow core that they could trade for Marc Gasol and Kawhi Leonard and then also still have OG and Pascal in the mix to become core pieces going forward. Fred as well. They've done it before. Doing it again just because they've done it before is not necessarily a guarantee. I think they kind of have the right idea about it at all, and I think the guys on hand are good enough, and the core guys are good enough to drive winning like we've seen in the past with, you know, Kyle and Damar. I'm not saying they're quite as good as Kyle and Damar were, but I think you can make the argument that, like, Pascal currently is better than Damar ever was with the Raptors in terms of just, like, driving positive play. No one's Kyle Lowry, which is obviously a problem, but I still think... There's enough in terms of talent and exciting sort of upside to marry those two interests in a way that very few teams are able to do. And OG is going to be a really interesting test case because if he you know, comes out and stumbles and takes the extra opportunity that Bobby Webster and Nick Nurse have said is going to be there in that first month and doesn't do well with it, does that kind of put him in the doghouse for the rest of the season? Does that see his role scaled back? Does that sort of you know send to the Raptors a message that he's not quite ready for that burden? I don't think they will. I think they're smarter than that. I think they see the long game in mind, and I think they know OG is their avenue to having like a wing star if they're going to have one on the roster. If there's someone on this current roster, other than Scotty Barnes, who's a fourth overall pick and many years away, if there's someone who's going to be that sort of guy who can, you can have be your number one wing scorer, it's going to be OG. Whether that's likely, it's probably like you know a 25% outcome that it'll actually happen, but it's possible, and it's exciting to think about, and I would hope the Raptors are going to be you know, thinking about things in the long view here, as much as wins and being in the play-in conversation is something I would like to see this season, I would hope that this sort of long-term, uh, you know, they're not going to sacrifice the long-term development of a guy just because one month isn't so great and they're kind of in a hole and, you know, working to get back in the mix. I, I honestly think my sort of philosophy with this thing is, is if you rely on the development enough and you kind of believe in it enough and let it sort of nurture and, and marinate and not sort of change course too soon, 
I think you can see those things kind of come together very nicely, where as the season goes along, you kind of coalesce and do something more than you were at the start of the season because you allowed guys to go through lumps at the start of the year. And I think that with OG, that is going to be the big question here. You know, they're very clearly lining him up to be a big part of this team. I think we all expected that after the finish he had to last season. But I think there's a lot of confirmation about that early on here. And I hope that they are willing to Go with the, with, the, with the lumps, because there will be lumps. I promise you there will be lumps for a 23-year-old guy who has only ever been mostly a low-usage, you know, catch-and-shoot guy who cuts and dunks from, you know, chin, does chin-up dunks under the basket. Like, there's going to be a lot that he has to kind of learn and, you know, adapt to as the way defenses view him around the league change, uh, you know, the, their approach to him and, and all of that. So that's my kind of soliloquy on OG Ananobi, who, again, we saw for the first time today speaking to the media. And again, he's been a big topic of conversation over the last couple of days that we did not quite hit on a whole lot yesterday. I can't wait to see where things are going. He is the most interesting player on the Raptors this season. I don't think it's particularly close. Uh, let's continue on here in just one second. We're going to dive into your mailbag questions. We've got questions about the lack of seven foot on the Raptors roster. We've got questions about uh, Malachi Flynn and his role as Goran Dragic going to cut into those minutes or whatever. Is he going to be a starter by season's end? Lots of Malachi Flynn content coming up in today's show. We'll get to that in one second here. But first, I want to tell you about our friends over at rockauto.com. If you know me by now, I know nothing about cars. I'm a moron. I don't know how to boost a car or didn't know that until like two weeks ago when I had to watch a video in the middle of the woods to make it work. I am bad at cars. But if I can navigate rockauto.com and find great cheap auto parts, that means you can too, because I have no idea what I'm doing, and their site is so easy to use that even someone like me can navigate and find the exact parts I need for my car for much less than you're going to get charged at a chain store. Go explore their easy-to-use website today and find the solution to your auto part needs. Go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck and write locked on there. How did you hear about us, Box? So know that we sent you amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the car parts you'll ever need at rockauto.com. All right, let's dig into these mailbag questions. Uh, we got a lot that I did not get to on the last episode of the podcast. So let's lean into, um, actually, this kind of goes with what we were talking about off the top with OG Ananobi. So let's start with that. And it has to do with the half-court offense. We heard Nick Nurse talk about this yesterday, was asked about the you know, the difficulty that team is, does he see any concerns for the team? And if so, what are they? And he said, like, is there enough scoring there? Are we going to be able to score enough in the half court? He said he really relies on the system to get buckets for the team. And I think that's a nice bit of uh, sort of understanding that, yeah, not one guy is going to be the driving force of this offense as much as they're going to try to give all the opportunity in the world to OG, Fred, and Pascal to do that. It's not fair, I think, to sort of expect them to be these sort of half-court demons who can rip apart opposing teams basically at a, on a whim whenever in the half-court. They're not the big three in Brooklyn. That means that uh, it's going to be a little bit of a tricky road to improving that half-court shot creation. And this question comes in from Nathan Lean regarding all of that. What do the Raptors need to do in order to improve their half-court creation? So I think... Number one is like internal leaps, right? Like if you see OG Ananobi take a leap as a half-court scorer, as a guy who can play make in the half-court, deal with the extra attention, defer, use his leverage to get shots for other guys, 
That's going to be huge, of course. This also ties into the free throw conversation. This is not a team that projects to be a very good free throw getting team. OG is one of the guys who can help change that. I also think Pascal really showed last season at times that he can get to the line. He can you know, absorb that contact, finish through, get three-point play, stuff like that. I think that's going to be a big thing. You know, It's going to be picking up those easy points whenever you can, and, and free throws are a big part of it that you often forget, but like... If you think about some of the best Raptors offenses of the last 10 years, a lot of them were just like free throw dependent. You know, the 2015 team, yeah, things like went off the rails in the playoffs, but Lou Williams, DeMar DeRozan got to the line a ton. That was a top five offensive team. Uh, If you think about, obviously, the Kawhi team, Kawhi got to the line like eight times a game. That was easy stuff. You know, Kyle was getting to the line. Pascal was getting to the line. It was a great free throw accrual team. Um, You know, and, and then you think about, last year's team and how they were not very good at it at all. And and think about the playoffs in the bubble. And the only guy who could get there was Kyle Lowry. No one else was doing it. You know, you need to have two, three, four guys who can be reliable free throw accruers for you. And I think OG, obviously Pascal, and then Fred Van Vliet has to be one too. And you throw in some other guys as well. Malachi Flynn, Goran Dragic, like they'll have to, you know, really kind of pick up the free throws as well. We saw Scotty Barnes be pretty successful with it in the summer league as well. So that's something too. Um, Other than that, you know, the system, like Nick Nurse said, you know, we saw a lot of great stuff from the Raptors last year under Chris Finch before he got poached by Minnesota. And then I don't know how much you really attribute the drop-off for the Raptors offense last season to Chris Finch leaving as Chris Finch left basically like a week before the whole season uh, hit the fan and COVID overtook the best players on the team and they were kind of lost in the water for the rest of the year. So I don't know if like you can instantly sort of look at Chris Finch and say his departure was the reason why things went wrong, but like there was a lot of good stuff that we saw last year when the Raptors were good in the half court. We saw lots of, uh, you know, lots of cutting, lots of off-ball movement, stuff like that. It wasn't just sort of looking around and waiting for Fred VanVleet or Pascal to do something. There was always something happen while happening while they were doing something as well. And so I think you'll have to see a lot of that. A lot of sort of, you know, you have Gary Trent Jr. Run a ton of pin downs for that guy. He's an excellent shooter. Make his, make his defenders work. Make him a guy who people are terrified of. He's a 40% three-point shooter. Outside of his sort of cold finish to last season as he was dealing with injury, he was freaking lights out for the Raptors and for the Blazers before that. Use that. Use those strengths. It's really amplifying the strengths of the team that's going to be what makes them a better half-court team. You know, you think about the bench guys, obviously like Malachi Flynn's going to have a big role in this. He's one of the few guys in the team who has like that shot making sort of swagger to him. We saw it a little bit last season, some sort of heat check games from him. That's going to be really important. Nick, Fred Van Vliet actually made the point yesterday talking about Malachi Flynn and sort of the tutelage that's going on for Flynn under Fred Van Vliet. And he spoke about how Flynn is, you know, a better shot maker than Fred was at this point of his career. Like he's got that kind of in his bag a little bit more. I think, you know, any comparisons between Flynn and Fred Van Vliet are basically just kind of lazy throwaways. I don't think it's a good comparison at all. Malachi Flynn's a way more downhill player. He's got more burst. He can blow by guys a little bit better. He's a better pick and roll operator just in terms of the way he kind of sees the floor. Fred's gotten great at it. Don't get me wrong. But just in terms of like the natural sort of pick and roll navigation ability, I think Flynn comes in as maybe the best guy on the team in that department. That's what he was when he was in college. He has to refine it for the NBA speed and game and all that stuff, but I think that's going to come along in a really nice way, particularly this season when he's going to have actual centers to play with basically anytime he's on the floor between Ken Birch, Chris Boucher, and Precious Achua all filling in minutes at the five. So yeah, I, I think Flynn holds a big role in improving the half-court creation as well. Uh, just an eternal leap from him, OG, 
you know, Gary Trent Jr. is an interesting one. I don't know how much I believe he can do it. He really does feel like kind of a guy who's not much in the way of first or, you know, first step or, or blow by ability or anything like that. He really does feel like an excellent spot up guy. And he has that mid range shot kind of as a fail safe because he can't get to the rim or open things up really for himself. So he has to get to that mid ranger that, you know, teams are going to kind of willingly give to him. So I don't know if that's much of an asset to the half court offense, but that's certainly something if we do see more from Gary Trent Jr., you know, that's the beauty of a team that is loaded with young dudes. There's there's pops and, and sort of uh, expansions of games that happen all the time that you don't really necessarily foresee. And with the amount of young guys they have on this team, there's plenty of opportunity for those things to happen. We just can't see them just yet because they haven't taken place and aren't necessarily the most predictable things in the world. Um, you know, I also think Getting back, this is sort of my last point on how to improve the half-court creation. Get back to Pascal Siakam screening or having people screen for him. He's really freaking good in that spot. You know, you think back to the 2019-20 season when the Raptors had, I believe, the second-best crunch time offense in the league, right behind the Thunder with the Chris Paul, Dennis Schroeder monstrosity that that was. You know, I... I the Raptors in that year relied so heavily on the Fred Van, sorry, the Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam pick and roll to be a game breaker for them late in games when things were on the line. He, it was just a guaranteed bucket of a play. It was unbelievable. They just kind of went away from it last season, and it was a little bit perplexing. And I hope they can get back to that this year. Maybe that was a mix of sort of the spacing of the floor not being there because of the pieces that were out and not available and just the roster not being quite up to snuff. Maybe that's part of it. But I also think there was just like a very clear sort of just forgetting that that seemed to work uh, really, really well during the 2019-20 season. So, you know, obviously Kyle's not around anymore. It's not going to be quite as effective because Kyle is a master of any pick and roll. But I think if you can kind of have Fred Van Vliet become that guy who can screen for Pascal in that sort of inverted pick and roll or have Pascal screen for Fred and be that guy in the short roll who is causing havoc or popping for threes, doing the things Pascal has done in the pick and roll in the past to be so effective... That, I think, is a pet play they have to go back to. And I don't want to make it sound like, you know, it was when, like, the Warriors had Kevin Durant and Steph Curry and they never went to pick and roll. I'm not saying do it every single play because that was kind of the call for from Warriors fans at the time was just run that play every time and you'll win every game by 50. You can't do that. You have other guys who you have to feed and all that stuff. But we know Pascal. There's proof of concept that Pascal as a screener is freaking good. And I, I would hope that they get a lot of that sort of worked in. You know, it could be OG Pascal pick and rolls. That's fun too. Get weird with it, but just have Siakam be involved in those actions. That also takes him away from standing in the corner waiting for threes, which obviously was not his forte last season, did not have a great three-point shooting season. I expect a bounce back this year uh, just because the situation will be better and all that. But um, certainly, you know, Pascal not being in the corner and being in the action of the play is something I think you'd prefer anyway. So uh, that's my last sort of of many answers of how the Raptors can improve their half-court creation. It's going to be a struggle. And Nick Nurse said yesterday, like, it's going to be a lot of turning defense into offense. You know, he said, if we're going to play all this defense, we better get some offense out of it, kind of jokingly. But it's very true. Like, this is going to be a team that has to rely on transition get back to being an efficient sort of devastating transition team like they were in the 2019-20 season. And, you know, that will sort of hopefully augment the, uh, or sort of balance out the the bad half-court creation, which right now is not great. But again, there's plenty of room for improvement because it's a young-ass team with plenty of room to grow. We're going to get to a couple more mailbag questions on the other side for you. Uh, more Malachi Flynn, Goran Dragic, the lack of talls on the team. We'll get to those in a sec here. But first, want to tell you about Sleeper, which is a new fantasy basketball app. 
and it's changing the way you play fantasy basketball. And for me, it makes fantasy basketball something I would actually kind of consider playing seriously. I usually get invited to a league like the last week before the season. And because I have basketball fever, I say, yes, I want to play fantasy basketball this year. This is the year I get okay with the day-to-day busy work of setting my lineup. And then within like three weeks, I've given up. Everyone's mad at me because I'm not trying in the league. I'm that guy. You don't want to be that guy. So instead, play Sleeper, where you can play Game Pick, where owners pick a single game per week for each starter to count for their count towards their team's total score, ensuring an even number of games played between opponents. That is wonderful. You get to bit, make your picks for the game that you choose for each player based on player matchups, home versus away, opponent defensive ranking, pace of play, and more, meaning there's strategy involved and not just simple counting of the number of games your guys are going to be playing. I'd rather play the very good player who maybe has two games on the schedule versus the not-so-good player who has four games on the schedule, but in the regular fantasy basketball world, it doesn't quite work that way. With Sleeper, you can do it with Game Pick. Whether you prefer Redraft, Keeper, or Fantasy Game or Dynasty, that is, Game Picks has you covered. Sleeper, crack the fantasy basketball code. If you play fantasy football and like the weekly strategy of it all, you're going to love Game Picks for fantasy basketball. Download the Sleeper app and start a league with your friends today. You will not be disappointed. Today's show is also brought to you by our pals over at betonline.ag. We're back and better than ever. All eyes are on the gridiron as teams are back on the field to take another football or to start another football season that is as always bet online is your number one spot for all the pro and college football action this season with a new updated site and interface even more odds and props and contests betonline.ag continues to be the number one source for everything football head to the website or use your mobile device to sign up today and receive your 100 welcome bonus that is double your initial deposit just for signing up don't forget to use the promo code nfl 100 to get that awesome deal from football basketball boxing baseball playoffs right through to vegas casino games don't wait to take advantage of all the amazing offers available for the 2021 season. Bet online is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all your favorite sports. Bet online, they are your online sportsbook experts. All right, let's round this out with a couple more mailbag questions. Uh, Malachi Flynn was kind of a topic of discussion in the last segment, so let's get to another one here. And sort of the combination of him with Gary Trent Jr. and Goran Dragic, the sort of two through four guards on the roster, and how that's all going to shake out. So let's get to this one here from Snitsky McGee, who asks, do you think Malachi Flynn can have a bigger role in the team this season than Gary Trent Jr.? I honestly think Malachi Flynn's role in this team might be more important than Gary Trent Jr.'s. I think Trent is going to be a little bit kind of expendable in those starting lineups. I think the Raptors are going to play Scotty Barnes or OG at the two quite a bit and go big and get weird. I think we're going to see Goran Dragic play the two quite a bit. But Malachi Flynn seems to be penciled in to run that second unit. And we saw last year, the second unit was an abomination. The starters pretty much without fail were quite good unless they were playing with Aaron Baines. Other than that, like the small ball starting fives, even the starting fives down the stretch were pretty effective. The bench unit just had no juice though, and not a lot in the way of scoring. We've seen this for a couple years, you know, think back to the title defense season and it was like Patrick McCaw running lineups with Terrence Davis and Rondé Hollis-Jefferson and Chris Boucher before he got really good at scoring and uh, got some other weird players in there too, I'm sure, uh, where there was just no offensive production whatsoever to be had. They were relying on winning their stretches of minutes four to two over six minutes. I don't think we're going to see that with the bench this year because I think Malachi Flynn is A, in a very important role as that sort of second unit conductor. And also, I think he's going to be quite good at it. And the pieces around him 
seem to suggest that he's going to have some good support when he's there, whether he's playing in the backcourt with Dragic or Gary Trent, whoever, you know, was kind of subbing out in those in-between lineups. Uh, he's going to have that extra sort of guard help, in particular Dragic. Having Dragic out there to kind of just take some of the burden off is going to be huge. Uh, you throw in Scotty Barnes, the defense he's going to offer, the potential sort of dive man stuff he's going to do, the cutting it seems like he's able to do from day one. That's exciting. And then you get Boucher, who can just finish a bunch of plays, and hopefully Achua, who can be a lob threat for Flynn. Those seem like they're going to be pretty effective second units against other second units. Would I trust them against other starters? Probably not, but I do like the mix of that second unit right now, um, and I think it's going to have more scoring punch than it has in years past. Do I think it's going to be the 2017-18 bench mob? Probably not, but I do think there's a little bit there to get excited about, which is nice. And then when it comes to Trent, like I said, I'm just not sure where he's going to slot in in terms of overall role within the team. And it's going to be really dependent on him, frankly. If he's playing the way he was when he first started with the Raptors last season, dude's going to play 30-plus minutes. If he's playing like he did in the last 10 or so games, he's going to play like 22 minutes, and he might be sort of a fringy rotation guy at times and won't play in close games and stuff like that and might not have the trust because he doesn't quite bring the same defense. And if he's shooting horribly, putting up bad heat check shots... I don't think that's going to be something that Nick Nurse takes very kindly to, whereas Flynn kind of offers more of a Nick Nurse kind of profile. He's, he's a good defender. He you know disrupts, forces turnovers, all that stuff, and he pr- provides that ball handling that Trent doesn't really offer right now either, which is going to be a necessity for this team. So yeah, I think Flynn maybe already is, gonna, is a more important player to what the Raptors are going to be this season than Trent. It's a very good question. Uh, this also uh, kind of applies to this question here. That comes in from Adam Ellis. Could you see any opening day reserves earn a starting job by the end of the season? So if we're assuming the starting five is Fred, Trent, OG, Siakam went healthy, and Kem Birch, I think it's going to be tough to crack that, honestly, just with the way the lineups are going to be set out. You know, Flynn just feels like a perfect backup point guard to come in and relieve Fred. If you start him with Fred, which they could do, they love two point guard lineups, they have in the past at least, you know, you just stagger it and find a way to make it work, but it's just a lot easier to have that second unit kind of control in Fred Van, in Malachi Flynn just coming off the bench in a more sort of regular rotation. We'll see. But I do think Trent is the most likely guy to lose that job. As much as I think Ken Birch and Precious Achua are, you know, you could kind of toss up who's going to be the starter there. They've clearly got more invested in Birch right now, and I think they're going to give him at least the season to see what he can do as the starting five. Will he finish every game? Probably not. I think there are a lot of games where they won't finish with a center at all, but as far as starting, yeah, I think Birch is going to be in that spot, barring injury for the entire season. But Trent could lose that, I suppose, to Flynn. I think the guy he's more likely to lose it to, though, is Goran Dragic, and people... Don't seem to want to get on the Goran Dragic train just yet. That's fine. I'll be over here on my on my lonesome in the car, just being happy that Goran Dragic is on the Raptors. Um, I, I think he stands a real chance of potentially moving into that starting five. Do I think he's going to be like a 32-minute-a-game starter? No, I don't think he has it in him anymore at 35. But I think just the way, especially early on, if you know maybe the Raptors struggle out of the gate with ball handling and the lack of Pascal Siakam is hurting them. So they swap in Goran Dragic for Gary Trent and then they roll with that. Maybe he just holds that job for the rest of the year because they realize, oh, this ball handling is kind of nice to have next to OG and Siakam and Fred. And we have a starting five with four guys who can put the ball on the deck. That's not a bad thing to have. I think that's a sort of sneaky possibility here. I know the Raptors aren't terribly invested in Dragic long term. He might not be here come trade deadline time, but I do think if he is kind of showing out and playing well and the Raptors are surprisingly good, there's a chance they keep him and there's a chance he becomes the starting two next to Fred Van Vliet. 
you also will be able to hide him pretty well defensively in that lineup as well, next to Fred, OG, Siakam, and Birch. Like, that is four dudes who can cover for a not very good defender in Goran Dragic. So, that's my take there. Uh, last question here, tied to Dragic and Flynn, and also to the lack of talls on the team. Uh, let's show it here. This one comes from Dragon Ninja, who asks, how many minutes is Dragic going to take away from Malachi, and why is there not one seven-footer invited to training camp? I'll get to the seven-footer thing in a second. I don't think Dragic is going to take a lot of minutes from Malachi. I think those three guards are going to play quite a bit. I think they're going to need the extra ball handling on the floor quite a bit. And I think it's more of a sort of question of how many minutes is Dragic going to play with Flynn to kind of help him out in those second units. And I think it's going to be a lot. Like, I don't think there will be a lot of cannibalization of each other's minutes there. I think Dragic is very much like a shooting guard positionally on this team, despite being a point guard, I guess, as like a traditional, you know, that's what his job has been his entire career. If you're looking at the depth chart, I'm listing Dragic as a two just because of Flynn and Fred kind of being the incumbents at the point guard spot. So yeah, I don't think you're going to see a lot of minutes taken away from Malachi by Dragic. I think it's going to be a very sort of nice cohesive effort of those guys playing together and probably looking pretty good as a, as a backcourt that can make some things happen and break the defense down, especially second units. Uh, and then the last one, why is there not one seven-footer invited to camp? It's because it's Vision 6'9", baby. I don't know what to say. Get on board. Vision 6'9 is here. Pascal Siakam did say he's almost 6'10 yesterday, which would make him the tallest player on the team. I believe they will come in as the first team ever to not have a person over 6'9 on the roster. Look, I know last year gave you a lot of sort of ghosts and, oh my God, what what are you going to do without center play? Like Aaron Baines was so bad. What the hell? Just a nightmare. Uh, I, I really, really don't think you can overcorrect to what Baines was last season. Ken Birch is a totally cromulent center, even though he's a little bit short. Yes, it's going to be tricky in certain matchups against Joel Embiid, Nikola Jokic. The thing is, you don't have to worry about those matchups necessarily this season, because yes, in the regular season, those games will come up, but A, you can scheme a little bit and sort of throw junky defenses at them, and they've done that very well in the past for both of those guys. And then on the other side of things, you know, it's... It doesn't really matter if they're they're not going to play the Sixers in a playoff series that matters, I guess is the way I'm putting it here. They're not playing the Nuggets in the finals. They're not going to be a finals contender this season, and that's okay. And so you're not worried about having to, you know, have all of those matchups figured out well ahead of time. Like for those, you know, Raptors teams of 2019, for example, like going to the title, realizing Joel Embiid's in the Eastern Conference and potentially in their way. Yeah, you got to get a specific guy like Marcus Saul to prepare for that matchup. You don't have to do that this season for the Raptors. You can go ahead and realize, okay, sometimes we're going to be outgunned, but that's okay because our overall vision is intact. And I think that's what the Raptors would prefer. So that's all I got there. Thank you so much to everybody who sent in those questions. Sorry for the delay in getting to them since uh, you sent them in last week, but really appreciate you sending those over. Uh, We'll have more on the podcast tomorrow. Vivek Jacobs is going to join us, and we are going to talk all about Fred Van Vliet and what a successful season would look like for him as we continue that series of shows. Uh, On Thursday, Katie Heidel is going to pop on the podcast. I think we're going to talk about vibes, as we often do with Katie, because the vibes are good around the Raptors for the first time in a long time, and it's very exciting. Uh, And then we'll close out the week on Friday with a podcast TBD, but... Thank you, as always. Thank you for making us your first listen here. And go make your second listen, Locked on NBA, as they're covering media days from all across the league, vaccine fallout, you know, different teams that are interesting, the most interesting teams going into the season and all of that good stuff. That's all coming up very soon here. Thank you so much for tuning in. We'll talk to you again Wednesday with another episode of Locked on Raptors. Bye-bye. 